Heavenly Father, Lord, just a few minutes ago we were able to reflect upon the atoning sacrifice of the Son of your love, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege and a blessing that we have to remember that which he has done to deliver us from the domain of darkness and that we might be transferred to your kingdom by faith in him. I pray that, Lord, if there were any amongst us that have not surrendered their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, that, Lord, the next time that we celebrate communion, they might have done that so that we may be able to celebrate together. Father, I pray for us who have remembered our Lord and celebrate his atoning sacrifice, that we would be people who would each and every day, not just wait for a day out of the year for Thanksgiving, but that every day would be a day of Thanksgiving for us where we express our gratitude to you for all that you've done. We have so much to be grateful to you for. And Lord, this morning we're grateful that we have the opportunity to open up your word again. I pray that you may give us soft and tender hearts that are receptive to your word. I pray that we might see the pertinence for all of us of that which we will be talking about, a subject that is very dear to your heart, and that is why it is in your word. I pray that we might be people who counter the culture around us and that which the society, the wicked society in which we live, tells us about the mar- about marriage and family, and that, Lord, we may be faithful and obedient to your holy word, unwavering, so that we may experience blessing and joy in our marriages, blessing and joy as families, and blessing and joy as a church when we walk in loving obedience and in adherence to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the this morning's message is the beauty of submission. The beauty of submission. And if you can turn in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I told you last week that this would be a second message on the uh, topic that we began out of Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 on the wife's role in the marriage and in the home. And this is such an important topic. And I think this particular text, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, really allows us to uh, both uh, be encouraged and motivated as a congregation, in particular you ladies and even more specifically you wives, in your particular role within marriage and within the home. But it also allows us to address some very tough questions and objections that we may hear um, just by the very fact that we're human beings and we understand the difficulties that come in marriage sometimes and with spouses that we may be married to. So First Peter chapter 3, and we have seen, um, before we read this text, that God instituted marriage and family. And yet with the fall, God's beautiful design was seriously distorted. We've seen that not only God's glory was attacked, His goodness questioned, His faithfulness questioned, but also uh, that the, the marriage between man and woman was deeply marred as well. And since the fall, we know even by our own experience that there is this ongoing struggle in marriages where men are either passive in their own leadership in the home, which is one sinful extreme, or on the other sinful extreme is dictatorial or domineering type of leadership. And women, since the fall, struggle to to seek control 
of the marriage relationship and to manipulate their husbands rather than follow the lead of their husbands in accordance with God's design, His beautiful design. But we see that the gospel changes everything, do we we not? In Colossians, that's been Paul's point. The gospel changes everything so that we now pursue Christ. We pursue holiness instead of living for ourselves and living for this wicked society. The gospel also is pertinent for our marriages and for our families as well. Because when we come to Christ, when we turn from our sins and put our faith in Jesus and we are forgiven of our sins and we're reconciled to God, the process of restoring God's beautiful design for marriage begins. For Christians, God's word now becomes our blueprint for a blessed and happy, joyful marriage. We see in the Word of God that God's design is that husbands should lead by providing loving, servant leadership in the home. And that wives, in accordance with God's Word, are to be helping their husbands and submitting to their husbands from a heart of love for their husbands and respect for their husbands. Beloved, God's Word is so crystal clear about these roles, is it not? So clear. The reason why marriages don't flourish. Listen to me. The reason why marriages don't flourish and why we are not experiencing blessing and joy as we should in our marriages is because we don't obey the Word of God. We don't obey His Word. And so we need to return to His Word regardless of what the culture around us is telling us that God would instruct us, not that we may instruct God as to what marriage is to be about. The culture should not be that which is shaping your perspective of marriage, beloved. Not for Christians at least. Not the popular opinions of, of the government officials or of the social media or even our own perspective or our own past experiences of how we were raised, we should be coming to the Word of God and letting God instruct us as to what we ought to be in the marriage. Amen? So that's why we're working through this, and this is so important for us in light of where we see very clearly that our culture is heading and the future of our country is heading from many signs that we can see right now, that we would be reaffirmed again as to these roles that are so important for we to experience blessed and joyful marriages. And I told you that because submission is such a crucial topic, in particular for wives, according to Colossians 3.18, and there are so many misunderstandings and, and distortions about what submission means, we need to spend some additional time looking at this particular text here, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Okay, and it's my, my desire to briefly address some of the tougher, more complex aspects of biblical submission in marriage as we work through this particular text this morning. Peter is writing to, to Gentile Christians primarily here in First Peter who are beginning to, to experience suffering and persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. And the question that he answers is this, how do Christians live well in a society hostile to Christ. How do Christians live well in a society hostile to Christ? Does it sound pretty pertinent for us today? Amen? Very pertinent for us today. And so in chapter 1, he reminds these believers who are experiencing suffering of their great salvation, 
And then in chapter 2, in light of that great salvation, he reminds them of their responsibility to live excellently in that wicked world in which they live. In order that the unbelieving world may observe their Christian testimony and glorify God on the day of visitation. In fact, look at chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So they are to live excellently in a wicked and perverse generation, so that God may be glorified. That maybe there would be some who would be drawn to the gospel because of their example, their behavior. And then Peter gives some flesh to what this excellent behavior looks like. And in short, it is this. It is living a life of godly submission. Godly submission. In chapter 2 and verse 13, he exhorts believers to submit to the governing authorities. Unjust governing authorities, by the way, because they're beginning to experience persecution for their faith. And then in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, he exhorts servants to submit to their masters, even perverse masters, who are treating them unjustly. And of course, the pattern, as we saw last week for all of this, is the example of the Lord Jesus Christ in verses 21 through 25. Because of Christ's example, who was the ultimate example of humble submission, of godly submission, who was perfect completely, and yet he suffered at the hands of men, wicked men, went to the cross to die for our sins, for those of us who place our faith in Jesus Christ. Because of the example of Jesus Christ, we ought to also be living lives of godly submission. He patiently endured Jesus did amidst his suffering and injustice all the way to the cross, beloved. And he did it so that we who have embraced him may be forgiven and restored to God our Father and be and experience eternal life. Jesus is the perfect model and the example. And so it is this godly submission then that becomes the pattern for wives and husbands in, this, in, the, in the same flow of thought in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. That husbands and wives, too, in the sense that to submit to God first and foremost and to one another as they carry out their God-given roles in marriage. And he begins with wives in verses 1 through 6. And then in verse 7, he addresses husbands, and we will be coming back. Brothers, it's coming. Okay? Ladies are getting two messages. I have no idea how many messages we're going to get, okay, as males. But in verse 7, he does address husbands as well. And what I want us to see in verses 1 through 6 are three beautiful motivators for the wives' wonderful submission. Three motivators for the wives' beautiful submission. And as we walk through these and through this particular text, I want you to remember this. Godly wives can be courageous in their submission to their husbands because of their, their confidence is rooted in God. You as a godly wife can be courageous in your submission no matter what circumstance you are in because your confidence should be rooted in God. It is very easy for wives to, to, to give up when you are in a difficult situation, in a difficult marriage. 
or to do it from the wrong motivation because you want to get your way or you want your husband to see uh, your point of view in a particular area of life and therefore you're going to submit to him reluctantly. It is very easy for wives, especially in difficult situations, to be motivated by the wrong things. But what I want you to know is that a godly wife's courage in, in submission, even in the worst of circumstances is rooted in her hope in God, who is unwavering, who doesn't change, right? I want you to see this. So first of all, I want you to see this first motivation that submission is powerful. Submission, ladies, is powerful. Never underestimate the impact of godly submission. Never underestimate its impact. Submission is not the gospel, The gospel is content, and it's centered on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submission is not the gospel itself, and yet submission adorns the gospel. So that the world around you sees the power of the gospel. And this is the the point that Peter makes. That godly wives can be a testimony before a, a wicked, perverse generation because of their godly submission to their husbands, even in the worst of situations. And he doesn't give this instruction, I want you to notice, because this was an easy time for women. Peter's instruction to women, and in particular wives, to be submissive to their husbands, came at a time when women were not valued very much. Many women, or many men rather, considered and treated women as lower class citizens, as just a little bit above animals, some men. Wives were generally viewed as slaves, or perceived that way at least, who existed to have, to have babies and just to keep home. That's it. And it is in this unjust context, however, that Peter says to godly wives, be submissive to your own husbands. That one that you share that one flesh union with, you are to be submissive. Lovingly, voluntarily arrange yourself under your husband, he says. Even in the midst of such a culture. And then he anticipates, I think, the logical objection or objections. But what if I'm married to an unbelieving husband? Or, what if I'm married to a believing husband who is walking in disobedience to the Lord? Who doesn't lead me. He doesn't lead our family spiritually. He's passive. Or on the other hand, he's dominating. He doesn't lead us spiritually, but he likes to lord it over us. What about in those types of situations? Am I called as a godly wife to submit to a man in those severe kinds of of circumstances? And the answer that Peter gives is what? Yes. Yes. Be submissive to your own husbands. And he's got a particular, a particular uh, motivation here for her that he's going to bring in right now. But notice, it says, even if her husband, in verse 1, is disobedient to the word, she is to submit to him. This description, disobedient to the word, in verse 1, speaks of a continual state of unbelief, of rebellion, or disobedience. It could be describing a believing husband who is just not obeying the Lord as a, in a particular area of his life or a particular time of his life. Or, and I think this is the, the right view, a man who is not a believer, an unbeliever, 
I believe that's what Peter is giving here. He's giving the worst case scenario of an unbelieving husband who is living in rebellion against the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 8, he describes the unbeliever as someone who is disobedient to the word, if you notice. In chapter 2, and verse 8. So I think that this is an argument from the greater to the lesser, if you will. If the believing wife is to submit to her unbelieving husband, then it follows that it is the same in the lesser case if one takes the view that this is a believing husband. This is the extreme case here, in other words. This is an unbeliever. Even in that case, a godly Christian wife should submit to that man. Now I understand that there are wives sitting in here, or maybe in our next service, in this situation. And maybe some of you men, on the other hand too, with unbelieving wives. And those are very difficult, very difficult circumstances that you're in, and I've counseled some of you. You are married to unbelieving husbands, ladies, or you are married in other cases, some of you wives to disobedient, believing husbands who just frankly are spiritual wimps, and they're not leading in the home, and they're not leading in the church in any capacity. I know that there are some of you That this is your great burden in life. But what I want you to know is that God's word tells us here that your submissive lifestyle, godly wife, is powerful and can have a lasting impact upon your spouse. Amen? we got to believe God's word and take God's word for what it says. But how is a Christian wife to win her unbelieving husband? That is really the struggle, isn't it? We believe in what the Word of God says, but the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we behave ourselves many times is not in accordance with the Word of God. How does a Christian wife win her unbelieving husband? Is it going to be by nagging? Is it going to be by manipulation? Is it going to be by fighting for her rights? Hitting him on the head with the truth? He just needs to hear the truth? Even that... Um, godly wives, ladies, oftentimes doesn't fly well if you are not uh, doing it in the right manner, right? Proverbs twenty five twenty four says, Better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Think about that. Better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Nobody wants that. An unbelieving husband doesn't want that either. So you're not going to win him by manipulation, by nagging, by fighting for your rights, expressing your opinions. It will be by your godly behavior, ladies. Your godly behavior. That's what he says in verse 1. He says, that they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Your godly conduct speaks louder than words. The testimony of your life will win him rather than any self-made tactic or worldly method. There are more and more Christian wives, because of husbands not leading in the home, who are now adopting psychological methods to apply to their marriages, or getting on Dr. Phil's show and listening to him and what he has to say, right? Or becoming more intellectualized, if you will, being more learned so that she can appeal to him and be able to win arguments against him. 
There's all kinds of junk out there today, ladies. But what the, the Word of God tells us here is that you will win your husband without a word by the conduct and the behavior of your life. Now, what does this godly behavior consist of? Look at verse 2. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. When the, this difficult husband looks at your life, what should he see? He should see your chaste and respectful, literally in fear, behavior in verse 2. Chaste behavior refers to a holy and morally pure behavior. This is the, this is the woman who is a holy woman of God. This is a, a woman who is devoted to chastity in her life, set apart from sin, pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the woman who is devoted to God wholeheartedly. This is the woman who is committed to obeying, lovingly obeying the Word of God. And he says respectful behavior. Respectful behavior, literally in fear behavior, which refers to conduct that is, that is motivated by her fear of the Lord. Not by her fear of her husband. This is a God-fearing woman. A God-fearing woman. What does uh, Proverbs 31.30 say? Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Right? This is a God-fearing woman. A woman who has holy reverence for God. And what is, does it mean to fear God but to, to live in the light of His presence more than anything else, ladies? To be focusing upon what's going on in your heart before the Lord because you know that He watches over you. He's ever present there. So this is not a hypocritical woman who says one thing and lives another. Who conducts herself in the church in in a particular way and then in the home her husband knows her as somebody different. She is chaste and respectful. So that God, not your husband, ladies, is your primary Um, audience. He is your audience. I want you to know that this powerful testimony of submission works, ladies. It works. It works. A few years ago, I was, I went on a trip and heard a testimony from a, a guy who was a staunch atheist in the past. And for 30 years plus, he was, he was married to a Christian wife. And he began to tell me about the way that he used to treat her. Asked him, um, uh, um, brother, tell me about your testimony. How did you come to know the Lord? He says, my wife was hugely instrumental, he said. I used to, I used to, to, to cause her pain. I used to be a scoffer. I used to talk about Christ um, in a negative way. I was a staunch atheist, he said. I used to make her cry time and time again, he said. And then one day I decided to go visit the church with her. He says, and then afterward, we went to a potluck um, uh, where a bunch of, of her uh, of the believers were there, and one of the pastors was there as well, and I got a chance to interact with some of these people. I didn't want to talk to anybody, but they began to talk to me and interact with me. And they went home that day. And that night, typically he just kind of spent his whole afternoon and evening just watching football and ignoring her, getting up for work, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. But she goes into the living room, no TVs on, And the guy is sitting there crying. Crying. She had hardly ever seen him cry. And so she comes up to him and he says, she says, honey, what's the matter? 
What's, what, what, what's, what's taking place? Somebody die? He said, no. He said, I can't believe at the potluck that I was at today that people could love each other that way. And now I understand. I understand why you could love me this way and why people could love me, me this way and love each other this way is because of Christ who's living in them. And if that's what Jesus does in your life and in the lives of these people, that's what I want too. The powerful testimony, beloved, of a submissive wife, right? And of a, of, a, of a group of believers on that Sunday afternoon that lived the love of Christ before this staunch atheist. A testimony can matter, does it not? It matters. And frankly, as I heard his testimony, yeah, we can focus on the miracle that God did with the staunch atheist, and that's the greatest miracle of all. But I was so impressed about the powerful testimony of that woman. That was a, a huge, huge message to me, as well of the powerful testimony that we can live before unbelievers. Submission, ladies, is powerful. Powerful. And you say, well, Kempis, easy for you to say. Easy for you to say. You don't know how bad I have it. Try to spend a couple of hours in my home sometime. You're right, I don't know how bad you have it. I don't, but God knows, doesn't He? God knows. And God will grant you the grace to live well before your husband and to obey Him, will He not? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is what? Faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. Ladies, God is faithful. God is faithful. And your powerful testimony of submission is rooted in your confidence in God, not in your confidence in your husband. This brings courage to the woman of God. When you are rooted and you stand upon the the rock of God and His Word, And His faithfulness in your life, that if He has called you in His infinite sovereignty to be in a particular situation, He will give you the grace to be able to walk in loving obedience to Him. Amen? He will indeed, ladies. Now at this point you may ask, Kempis, I agree with you. And I want to do this. And I'm trying to live a powerful testimony before my unbelieving husband or before my husband who is not walking in obedience to the Lord, who doesn't lead our family. But are there limits to a godly wife's submission? Is it absolute? And the answer is yes, there are limits to a husband's um, authority and to even a wife's submission. Submission is not limitless or absolute, you can say. The reason is this. It's twofold. One, a husband's authority does not reside within him, inherent in him. It is delegated authority, is it not? The husband has been given the the position of headship, which implies authority, but it does not reside inherent in him. It is delegated. It has been given to him from God. Only God himself has inherent and absolute authority, does he not? Only God And the other thing, husbands, is that your authority that has been given to you is for a very specific, particular purpose. And that is this, that of benefiting your wife and your family. That's why you have been given headship in the home. That you may love them, that you may benefit them, 
that you may lay down your life for them. Anytime you go outside of that, you have no authority. Amen? You have no authority. So the authority that we have, brothers, husbands, in our homes, is for the benefit of our families. To act for their intrinsic benefit, regardless of what it's, what's in it for us. And thus, when a husband acts contrary to his wife's true benefit, and contrary to the word of God, or leads his wife or his family into sin, the wife is not obligated to submit to him. She is not. In this case, a wife's submission is first and foremost unto the Lord and in that place, ladies, if it's a clearly delineated sin, then your job as a helper suitable to your husband is to, listen to me, lovingly and gently call your husband back to the Lord. Lovingly and gently, because you're his sister in the Lord. Call him, calling him back because you want his success in the Christian life, do you not? And the godly husband remembers that he too is a follower of Christ and should obey the Word of God because both of them are under submission to the Lord. Wives, I can't reiterate this enough. If your husband leads you into clearly delineated sin or asks you to do something clearly in contradiction to the Word of God, you are not obligated to submit to Him. And for us husbands, when we abuse our God-given authority to provide loving, servant, leadership, you and I have sinned against God, and we have to answer to Him, beloved brothers, for how we are leading our families. We will have to answer to Him. Biblical headship does not mean... We answer to no one, brothers. It does not mean that. And so the, while the godly wife strives to live a powerful testimony, there is also God's protection. This is why in cases of sinful violation of God's word and his covenant of marriage, God's word provides two grounds, two grounds for legal divorce. One is adultery and one is abandonment. Adultery. According to Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19 is a potential ground for divorce. In this case, the sinning spouse has broken the marriage covenant and the one flesh union. And in counseling, we do our best, of course, in a situation like that where there's been adultery. We do our best to, to call the sinning spouse to, to repentance and bring about the reconciliation of the marriage. But sadly... The sinning spouse is either unrepentant, wants to leave the marriage, or the spouse sinned against, is oftentimes unable to move forward with the marriage due to the, to the severity of the damage done. So we do our best to bring the marriage to reconciliation, but sometimes it simply doesn't happen. Secondly, abandonment. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12-15, through 15, is another ground for divorce. And this happens when an unbelieving spouse decides to abandon a believer. And while the believing spouse should do everything to stay married and, and keep the marriage intact, sometimes this simply is not possible given the rebellion of the unbelieving spouse. It would be more hurtful in some ways to, to try to keep them together. And so sometimes for the sake of peace, it may be necessary for them to, um, for, for, their, for the, the believing spouse to let them go. To let them go. 
So those are two grounds because of our sin for legal divorce. And yet, beloved, listen, God's grace is so amazing. I have come across wives and husbands, both who were rescued from rebellion, who were rescued from these types of situations. I know of at least two brothers who went out, committed adultery, eventually wound up in a divorce, and then they repented, got saved, and they went back to their previous spouse and remarried again. God's grace can be amazing in situations like that. Other times it doesn't happen. And we learn to trust in the Lord in those situations. But what a powerful, powerful testimony, beloved ladies. Your, your godly submission can be in a home, in a difficult situation like I've described. Secondly, submission is precious. Submission is precious according to verses 3 and 4. While our society may look at the Bible's teaching on submission as primitive, as outdated, or demeaning, we are told here in verses 3 through 4 that it is precious. And this is so because it, it ultimately is what, ultimately what matters is what God thinks about submission and godly submission, not what the culture around us thinks. Now it's very important that we look at these verses. And so key. Because women turn submission oftentimes into this mechanical or robotic external activity, kind of devoid of heart. Many women, wives, um, turn submission into a duty without feeling or emotion. They adopt the mentality, hey, I'm just, a, I'm just a slave. Maybe they wouldn't articulate it that way, but that's how they function or live. I'm just an oppressed person. I'm in a master-slave relationship. And many women submit grudgingly or externally, but they're very resentful or bitter in their own hearts. It's not submission from the heart that glorifies God. But when you dissect the heart of a submissive wife, there's something precious that we see in her heart when we do heart surgery. And what we see is that she's not focused on the, on the external and the perishable. Look at verse 3. He says, Your adornment must not be merely externally, externally braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. I like that word adornment there in verse 3 is the word from which we get our word cosmetics, referring to order or an orderly system. He says, the godly wife is not fixated upon her outward appearance before others. Nothing wrong with being concerned for how you look, but it's about excess, isn't it? And we're in a society that breeds this in women, a fixation with how you look on the outside. And Peter says, not so for the godly wife, not so for the godly woman, I would add as well. Instead, she's focused on the internal and the imperishable. Look at verse four, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. This refers to her inner beauty that she is to be focused upon. The true her, the real person, that which no human sees at the heart level. She is to be cultivating this kind of heart that only God sees first and foremost, and that will show itself in particular godly action and activity. But it's her inner beauty that she's focused upon. And what does this inner beauty consist of? Look at verse 4. What the imperishable quality, the, that which never decays... Of a gentle and quiet spirit. A gentle spirit that refers to her meek and and humble inner disposition. 
As opposed to a negative, self-assertive, pushy, opinionated, prickly, internal disposition that manifests itself eventually externally. Quiet spirit refers to her inner tranquility and and peace. This is the opposite of a loud and and boisterous self-expression, if you will. That's what this woman is known for. This is the inner beauty that, that Peter says wives ought to be pursuing. And may I add, women who are not married sitting in here, Christian women that you ought to be cultivating in your heart and life as well. How about it, wives? How about it? Are you known for a pattern of having a gentle and quiet spirit? Is that what would characterize you? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about the fact that you will fall into sin, but that you get back up, you seek God's forgiveness, you seek your husband's forgiveness, and that this is the the pattern and the direction of your life. That you're growing, that you're progressing, not not becoming uh, not perfection all the way across, but you're you're progressing and advancing along the lines of this type of heart attitude. Or perhaps you have given up, you stop trying, you're hopeless, or you're feeling hopeless in a marriage that is a difficult marriage, and you just throw up your hands in the air and you say, you know what? He's never going to change. Listen to me. If your ultimate motivation is that he becomes the man that you want him to become, that is a slippery slope. Your first and foremost motivation, even though that motivation of your husband's change is a great motivation, and it should also be there, your ultimate motivation is to be faithful to the Lord and what he's called you to be. Amen? Faithful to him. Notice the ultimate motivation that he gives in verse 4. He says, and he highlights the precious value of cultivating this inner beauty. And he says, which is precious in the sight of God. This inner beauty is precious in the sight of God. What a statement. What a statement. That God considers a gentle and quiet spirit in a woman of God precious, valuable, honorable. What does the the world say? Fight for your rights. Give your opinion so you will be heard. God says, live in the light of my presence. Fear me with a gentle and quiet spirit. This brings me honor. This brings me pleasure. This is precious in the sight of God. Ladies, this is the motivation, isn't it? Of a, of, of, for you to be able to find the courage to be submissive to your husband, even in the worst of situations. Here is the, the motivation right here. Where a calm, gentle, quiet disposition comes from. It comes from the fact that God is your confidence. He is the reason why you can, be, can experience inner peace and tranquility. That fleshes itself out outwardly. Your confidence is rooted in God and living before Him. And being convinced that He's sovereign. I love Psalm 23, do you not? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's a great psalm for, and words for all believers. But for you wives, when the Lord is your shepherd, and you are, are rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, 
how this propels you to, to be courageous, to be submissive to your husband, even in the worst of situations with an unbelieving uh, husband who does not love Jesus Christ. That's where the confidence comes from, ladies, for this gentle and quiet spirit. Now, some men look at this and say, praise the Lord. I'm so glad you finally hit this, right? You finally straightened her out. I mean, my wife really, really needed to hear this. Husbands, listen, the thunder is coming, okay? It's coming. But for now, let me say this. For a woman to have a gentle and quiet spirit does not mean that your wife has no say or no input at all. As in the military, where there's a command given, no buts about it. You are just simply to obey and to do, period. Your wife is your helper. And so the godly husband understands that, understands the godly wife's role in his life. And he understands that there are treasures and input that she has to bring to the table, to bring to the marriage that he should value and invite Because he understands that she is his helper. She is his precious companion and partner in life and ministry. And a godly husband understands that God has made her female. And this means that her femininity brings precious qualities to the table in marriage that completes him. Isn't that what God said in in Genesis 2? It is not good for man to be alone, right? She, he brings her, he brings Eve to Adam. She completes him. She completes him. His perfect compliment. Because she's feminine. And because our wives, husbands, are feminine, that femininity brings some indispensable things to the table that if you don't take advantage of them, then you are selling yourself short. Sensitivity. Nurturing. A unique warmth and affection that she brings to the table that frankly we husbands don't have. Compassion. A unique insight that we as husbands often lack. All I got to do, brothers, and you got to do is just look at our own marriages, right? For these examples. I can't count the number of times that I have walked away from a situation completely oblivious to any other observations besides what I just took at face value. Completely oblivious. And my wife may have been standing there and later on we're debriefing a conversation. And and I asked her, hey, what did you think about this? She says, well, did you see, did you see um, the hurt there? I'm like, oh, no. Right? Did you see the the insecurity? There's There's a baggage that they have from the past. And there are fears that are driving some of these things that they were talking to you about. Like, I didn't see it. I thought pastors were supposed to know everything. No, they don't. And men don't know everything. And wives bring that beautiful femininity, sensitivity, nurture, warmth, compassion, insight to the table that husbands, we need to invite to our marriage. That we may be well-rounded as a, as a man, as husbands. So a gentle and quiet spirit, brothers, does not mean that our wives um, don't have input. They're the key contributors in our, in our marriage, if you want to put it that way. The key contributors. On the other hand, ladies, recognize the impact 
of cultivating this, this, this kind of heart here. I once heard the, the testimony of, of a wife, of a believing wife, who really, really struggled with a bad temper. Bad temper. And she was married to an unbelieving husband. And the pastor um, observed this over a period of time, brought her in for counseling, opened up First Peter chapter 3 and began to talk to her about her testimony before this unbelieving husband and her bad temper. And she didn't realize the impact that her bad temper was having on this man because he, him, the pastor had already interacted with the unbelieving husband as well. And that was the biggest stumbling block. And so he encouraged her, you really need to work on that area of your Christian walk. That God would grow you in that particular area. Well, she began to do that. And a couple of weeks later, at least, um, the husband was taking some care of some things around the house. He walks in with a particular tool and he knocks over her favorite lamp in the living room. Now, in the past, she blew a fuse. Any little thing that he did, anything that he, any facial expression that he made at her, she would blow her top off. And this time she simply said, hubby, it's okay, it's just a lamp. And she walked away. (laughs) The husband's like, what in the world happened to her? Well, this went on for weeks and weeks. And one time on a date, they were out on a date and he just asked her, he said, hey, over the last weeks, I've just seen a difference in you, a change. What's happened? And she said, you know what? I just realized that my testimony before the Lord was sinful and my testimony before you and that I needed to work on that area in my life and that Christ was more than able by his grace to empower me to overcome this sin in my life. And the husband was taken back by her response. And would you believe it? Weeks later, the husband, as he continued to watch her her testimony, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we don't hear about these things often. We think that there are no, there's no impact to those that were living before, right? But that precious inner beauty that she began to cultivate before her husband, that then it fleshed itself out externally in the way that she lived before him, even in dealing with her bad temper by the power of the Spirit, made a huge impact upon this husband who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Submission so is powerful. It is precious, beloved ladies. This is where... You derive your, your courage, your courage from knowing that God has called you to live in this way, right? Thirdly, submission is personified. Permission, submission is personified. I want you to see this in verses 5 and 6. I love examples, don't you? And models of people who have been through the trenches, who encourage us in our Christian life and motivate us to finish the race. And that's what he provides. Peter provides for, the, for, for women here that he's instructing. He says, look at the holy women of old, verse 5. He says, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. He said, look at the, the women of old. They were fueled by their hope in the Lord. That was their driving force. But you follow in a long line, wives that he's instructing there, and a long line of, of women, godly women who have walked before you and you and who can point you to the greatness and the majesty of God in helping them live well in difficult situations. He says, look at Sarah, verse 6. Look at Sarah. 
Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. What's that all about? Say, what? I'm not calling him Lord. Campus, I fully agree with everything you're saying. I'm not calling him Lord. What's up with that? That's not the point, right? He is saying that Sarah submitted herself to her husband, obeyed him. That's what that means, signifies that she submitted herself to her husband. And she did it from the heart, calling him Lord with a little L, which in those days was a title of honor and respect. She honored her husband. She honored his leadership. You say, well, it's easy for her. She was married to to the father of the faith, Abraham. He was perfect, wasn't he? Uh-uh. Have you read through the book of Genesis? Genesis 12. Abraham ha- has Sarah lie to Pharaoh that she is his sister because he fears Pharaoh. He tells his wife to lie. Genesis 16. Abraham listens to Sarah and has sinful relations with Hagar. Sarah's maid. All because Sarah did not trust in God's promise. Abraham doesn't lead her to point her to the faithfulness of God. He goes and has sinful relations with Hagar. Genesis 20. Abraham, apparently not learning his lesson from back in Genesis 12, lies to Abimelech, another ruler, about his marriage again. Beloved, he was far from a perfect man, right? Far from a perfect man. And yet Sarah followed and honored her husband from the heart. And Peter says, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. In other words, you are of her same spiritual likeness is what he's saying. You are of her same spiritual likeness. And notice that Peter calls for a fearless submission in light of that, he says in verse 6. He says, without being frightened by any fear. What does he mean by that? That it is easy for a woman to think of submission fearfully. Well, will, won't he take advantage of me? Or possibly hurt me if I submit to him in that way? Beloved ladies, you know the answer to that? The answer is yes, he probably will sometimes. Or a lot more than sometimes. The sad reality is that injustice and exploitation might come, but the godly wife's submission is anchored in her settled hope and fear of God Himself. Not in her fear of her husband's mistreatment or unfair, unjust treatment. Ladies, often we think in the Christian life that we are the only ones that have ever walked through unique hardships and no one else understands. But these verses here tell you that there have been many women who have come before you who have passed on this beautiful heritage to the godly wife of submission, even in the worst of cases. There is a hall of, of submission, if you will. Not just a hall of faith, but a hall of submission with these godly women who have come before you. And my exhortation to you would be, ladies, entrust yourself to God. Hope in God. That is what fueled these women. They hoped in, in God in the midst of difficult situations. I'll tell you what. Do that. And entrust yourself to the Lord. The most convicting times for me are always when my wife and I might disagree on something and she will choose to follow my lead, but then come those frightening words, okay? Something along the lines of this. You know, honey, I have told you what I think. I, we obviously disagree, but I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to follow your lead. I will pray that you have made the right decision. Right? 
Yikes. That's like the most frightening thing. She's entrusting me to the Lord, right? Just pray that she doesn't walk away praying an imprecatory prayer, right? She doesn't. We entrust ourselves to the Lord in all situations, and the godly women of old did that. They entrusted themselves themselves, and hoped in God in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Well, what does submission involve? What does submission involve? Okay, and I'm going to give you these kind of rapid fire here. What does submission involve, ladies? If you are to be your husband's helper suitable, what does this involve? First of all, follow your husband. Follow your husband. God has called your husband to be the head of the home, right? The leader of the family. And you are to be following him in word and in deed in your conduct. My exhortation and encouragement to you would be don't dig in your heels on issues that that don't have to do with sin. Let him lead. There are times when you may disagree. But unless he is being disobedient to the word of God, follow his lead. And your husband will, will make mistakes. He will have to answer to God, however, for how he leads. Amen? But follow him. That is one of the most basic things about, about struggles in marriages. The wife simply not following the lead of their husbands when they are trying to lead them in a particular direction. Two, honor him. Honor him. Not only should you commit to following him, but honor and affirm his leadership. Especially for those of us who have kids still in the home. Um, listen, the kids smell when the mom does not support the dad, right? The kids need to see, moms, wives, that you are willing to follow dad's lead. Your example affirms his leadership before the children. Don't be the wife that behind her husband's back contradicts his orders. That he tells the kid at the market, no, you can't have an ice cream. And then they go and ask her because she's always going to say yes, right? Don't be that wife. Thirdly, assist your husband. Assist your husband. You are a helper suitable. Think about that. Think about the preciousness of this. God has put you in his life primarily to support and assist him. You ladies are invaluable and indispensable to your husband. He needs you ladies to be the man that God has called him to be. He needs you. He needs you. You can assist him by managing your household well. According to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and Titus chapter 2. If you are a wife and a mother, you can assist him by by coming alongside of him in the service in the church. As a general rule, ladies, as much as possible, there will be times when you divide and conquer in your service in the church. But try to work in ministries together. Amen? Working in ministries together so that you may come alongside of your husband and support him and assist him in those particular ministries. How about this? Be a friend and companion to him. Be a friend and companion to him. It is amazing how many husbands and wives don't enjoy being around one another, even in the church. Even in the church. I got to tell you, I love my kids and I treasure them and they're precious to me with all of my heart. But my favorite person to be with is mama. I love being with my wife. We love getting away by ourselves once, twice in the year and then date nights. We love those times. Be a friend and companion to your husband. Cultivate the friendship. Men and women are, were made relational beings. 
in the image of God, and thus friendship is essential, and wives must work hard to be there for their husband, to spend quantity and quality of time sharing hopes and dreams and struggles. Be a friend and companion to your husband, ladies. Also, serve him. Serve him. Look for ways to intentionally serve your husband. Ask him, honey, how can I come alongside of you and be of service to you? How can I help you in a particular area? How can I facilitate this area of ministry for you or something in the home? How about encouraging him? Be an encouragement to him, ladies. Wives, listen to me. You have an uncanny ability to influence and energize your husbands more than anyone else. Do you believe that? I believe that. Wives have an uncanny ability to influence and energize their husbands more than anyone else for better or for worse. Proverbs 14.1 says that the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Which one are you? The wise woman who keeps your husband encouraged, who builds your home up within your own particular role, or the foolish one that tears it down with your own hands by being a discouragement to your husbands. Another last two, by your affection. Your affection. Listen, husbands need physical affection. And women have been wired by God to give it. Right? But wives can often use that ability as a weapon by withholding that aspect of blessing to their husbands. That's why in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul instructs the Corinthians uh, about not depriving one another, that married couples had not to deprive one another of physical intimacy. And by the way, I'm not just talking about physical intimacy, sexual intimacy that is. That is part of it, but not all of it. I'm talking about having a friendly disposition in your heart toward your husband that leads to outward acts of kindness and physical affection because you want to be a blessing to your husband. Wives have been wired to be a blessing to their husbands in that manner as well. Lastly, by praying for him. By praying for him. Pray for your husband. This is especially true if he's not leading as God has called him to. Pray for him. Pray for him. Go to the one who can actually do something about it. God who can change your husband, right? Pray for your husband. How many of you ladies have as the highest of priorities to be praying for your husbands? Think about that. You survey your week. How many minutes, hours, go to praying for your husbands? I would say even husbands for your wives as well. So, so important. That is one of the key ways that we can come alongside of one another and that wives can be a helpmate suitable to their husbands by being in prayer for him that God would strengthen him, right? Those are some particular areas. Submission is the pathway to blessing in your marriage, ladies, as far as it depends on you as wives in the context of the home. And the godly wife can be courageous in her submission to her husband because her confidence is rooted in God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, O Lord, your word is so clear and so convicting. And Father, as we hear these words, we are reminded of the fact that, Lord, we need your grace to be able to be obedient even in these tough areas and to obey these tough commands that you've given us. Father, I pray and I ask that you may give special grace to wives 
as they seek in the power of your spirit to live this out in the context of their home. Father, thank you for your compassion and your mercy to those who are in particularly difficult marriages. I pray, Father, for your divine empowerment that, Lord, you may do a mighty work in marriages here at Calvary Bible Church as we live out our roles for your glory. I pray also for us husbands, Lord, as we look at the instructions for us in the weeks ahead, that we may lead well, that we may use that, the authority that you've given us in the home, not to lord it over our families, but to, to love them and to care for them and to serve them for their benefit, regardless of any reciprocation that may come to us or not, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.